Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the show. So here we are. It is the start of October, and of course, because we are at the beginning of a month, it is the time for the Real Estate Talk Triangle. That's right. Coming up this hour, I've got Tim Serianos. He's one of my panelists, has been for many years now. He's joined by Greg Vanell from B&M Bloomberg. Tim is from Remax Ultimate. And this is our monthly event. Uh, always fun. We're going to have some great banter. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world of real estate. You know, some of the stuff that's floating around little bit of a prediction that I'm throwing out there. CMHC is saying that we're really teetering. We could watch the market again descend. Um, you know, they missed uh, their forecast the last time. I'm not going to tell you that they're not going to miss it this time because I think they are as usual. But you know what? I'm going to let the experts talk about it. And that's part of the real estate talk triangle each month when we do it. So it's, I'm really excited about it. Um, I do uh, want to thank you for tuning in each week. And if not sporadically, um, it's a real pleasure to put on the show. And I will uh, will tell you that we do have a real estate investment webinar coming up. It is the Simple Real Estate Investment Webinar. And that will be Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m. You can go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. Um, excited about this one. We're going to delve a little bit deeper um, than most of our webinars have been. We're going to be talking about some of the tax implications and financing, uh, taking a hard look at investment real estate, who makes the best tenant. And of course, where are the best markets that you should be buying in, in Ontario? You know, I could go to the outer markets even further, you know, East Coast, West Coast, but for now, we like to keep it simple and we'll keep in the province that we live in. So uh, we will talk about the top 10 markets and what numbers you're going to be taking a look at. We do forecasts uh, on these marketplaces so far uh, in the last 12 years, we haven't missed. And I'm hoping to be able to give you, you know, kind of the straight goods on that. But um, as most people know, I um, I start to like to rant a little bit about topics that, you know, I get I see throughout the week. Perhaps it's a headline that irks me. And, uh, you know, it is, um, uh, of course, more of an opinion, uh, but I will back it up with facts whenever possible. And, you know, this week's uh, real estate rant is going to be a little bit different. I've got two of them, actually. I got two bees in my bonnet and I didn't want to wait on uh, on you know both of them or just only do one and, and wait till next week so one of them of course is uh you know associations throwing out the idea that they're they are now trying to get the government to turn around and change how we talk about uh single family zoning um just uh, just for those of you that have tuned in over the years um about three years ago i had uh mayor john tory on with me and the my, my suggestion to the mayor was uh exactly this i believe that with the size of the properties in downtown toronto there's quite a few of them that could actually go from single family to you know registered legal duplexes or triplexes where you would actually have individual titles for a basement apartment let's say the main floor and also registered title for the second floor so this is this was a suggestion that i had made and the mayor actually was very open-minded to it and i think he did take it to council and just you know had a brief conversation and i think a lot of people said it does make sense but we did get some real backlash from the media uh, some other sources, probably I won't name them at this point, but quite frankly, you know, they thought it was absurd that this would even be a suggestion. So what I want to do is I want to say ding, 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 ding. Hello. Let's wake up for a second. If we take a look of, at our neighbors south of the border, this is very common 
for uh, you know uh, cities and towns in the United States. And we've seen it over in Europe. In fact, it's very common there as well. So why is it that we have to have this singular thought all the time that it must be this way and we can't allow more density? So you know, we are not as densely populated as everybody thinks. Yes, Toronto is a big city, you know, millions of, of people living here, but there's going to be millions more coming in. And where are they going to live? So is does it make more sense that you take a property, let's say at about 1.5 million and chop it into three pieces and make it affordable? I think that that's probably a good idea because when you can turn around and buy, let's say, a basement apartment for that could be a thousand square feet, you know, two bedrooms, bathroom, everything else, and all of a sudden maybe it's only 450,000. Guess what? We just created housing that's affordable. So is it not sensical that we talk to municipalities and start moving something like this forward? You know, when we talk about basement apartments, most people think it, they just want to legalize it. So you're allowed to have it. Well, of course, you got to follow all the rules and regulations for for the fire marshal insurance, you know, make sure the municipality is in agreement. But the problem with that is that, that still means it's a standalone owner, but it doesn't hurt that we're going to add more to the rental market. So there's one other thing that we can do with some of these houses. You know what? Open up the registration for it. Give everybody a template. Say, if you meet these requirements, you can legalize that basement apartment. You know what else it does for you? Well, it allows the banks to give you financing because they will recognize that rent that you have coming in on those properties. So my rant's not really a rant. It's more of a suggestion, but it's sort of like, I, I, I just wish people would get out of the way of progress because we need to do these registrations. We need the inventory. You know, to stop beating up on the idea that we got so much foreign investment and money laundering into real estate. It's not the fact, okay? I can turn around and give you the facts right from the real estate boards that show how many foreign investors are actually buying. Okay, now I agree, there's gonna be some that aren't declaring it. Maybe they're throwing them through a shell company. Maybe they are having a family member do it, but that number is very, very minuscule. And it's not the number that is putting the pressure on the, the, the listings right now. That's not the one that's having the adverse effect. But one of the other parts of my rant today is I wanna talk about the banking system. You know, we've had the stress test in place since 2018 and it's done its part. But where I struggle now is that the banks are even getting tougher and tougher on people, not just buying, you know, their primary residence, but investment properties. In fact, I don't know if most people know this, but when you buy an investment property, the majority of the lenders today only prorate the rent to half. So you could be collecting $2,000 a month, but they only credit $1,000 a month of it. And here's my problem. They automatically go to the negative. They'll sit there and say, okay, your GDS ratio is out of whack because of that $1,000. Now, if they took the full rent, you'd be able to afford it. So is it greed on the lenders nowadays, the banks? Are they trying to make sure that they're making it so difficult? But it's funny because the reports that are coming out of the leading financial institutions are saying, we need more rental properties, okay? It's a fact. You've got 400,000 new immigrants coming into Canada, and this is where I'm starting to get pissed off because you need to have housing for them. If you don't allow investors to own this, then you're the problem. 
And this is the thing. When we talk about real estate investment, you know, most people just don't haphazardly go and buy it. You know, they've got the 20% down. So guess what, bank? You're, you're, you are safe. Heck, make it 25%, okay? Make it a little bit easier so you have more equity. But the ultimate end to this is the fact that we need these properties. So if the builders are building them and there's people that want to buy them so that they can turn around and actually rent them out, it's not a greedy landlord. It's actually the greedy lending institutions right now that are sitting there and they just want to pad their numbers to make sure that it's almost impossible to turn around and get these properties. I know a lot of people don't won't see that as that making sense, but here's the thing. If we don't allow rental inventory to come into place, this whole housing crisis, and it is a, a crisis due to inventory, is only going to grow larger. And this is the thing, when you have landlords that want to own and rent in the market. And listen, a lot of people, when they buy investment properties, there's already a tenant in place. They're not kicking them out and nor can they increase the rent when they buy it. You know what, that, that rent stays in place when you have ownership change. There's nothing that the new owner can do except keep the tenant. If the tenant pays their rent, then that means that they're going to be able to stay. Here's the thing. I think the lending institutions need to give themselves a shake like a glow stick so the light comes on and realize how important the future will be that we have more landlords in place. I'm not just talking about the big institutions. I'm talking all landlords, the ones that could rent out their basement apartment. And you know what? If you live on in the upstairs and you rent out your basement because you've created that individual basement apartment, legalized, make sure it's safe. I mean, we want to follow those rules. We want to make sure our tenants are safe. Then so be it. You know what? You should be able to claim that rent, not prorated. It should be what it is. Rent is rent. If you can prove it, and that's always what they want, documentation, but then they cut it in half. Again, I look at that as them trying to control the system and actually control the number of landlords coming into play. You know, I don't know if many people know that when you deal with lending institutions, they put a ceiling on you. They'll tell you flat out, well, you're only allowed five mortgages. My question is why? When a lot of people will turn around and they will have large amounts of equity in these properties, and they do, they've already put 20% down. Over time, the mortgage goes down and the value goes up. Guess what? You are now creating, again, equity for the future. I call it generational wealth. It gets passed down and you can turn around, and give it to your kids. Guess what else you can do? You can actually refinance, give that money to your kids, and you can turn around and they can buy their first property. Again, the system is broken when we talk about rental properties. This is something that I wish all municipalities, provincial and federal officials take a hard look at because what you're going to experience, and mark my words, in the next 24 to 36 months, we are going to have a rental property crisis like we've never seen before. If, you, if the federal government allows the number of people into the country that they're saying they will, this will be an incredible issue for people to, trying to rent. And it's only going to mean that, you know what? The banks need to allow the landlords to be landlords. And I'm not talking greedy landlords. And I know a lot of people will jump on that saying, Todd, you're just always advocating for people owning uh, investment properties. Yes, I am. And the main reason why is because I want people to control their future. I want them to have generational wealth that can pass on to the next generation. And yes, you can even let your kids move into your rental property at a later date. 
anyways that's my rant for the week i know it was kind of you know partial one way and the other way but you know i think we have to be mindful of what's coming up and speaking of what's coming up We've got our Simple Real Estate Investment Webinar. That's going to be Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m. You can go to simpleinvestor.com to register. You can also follow me at the Simple Investor one on Instagram. But more importantly, we've got the Real Estate Talk Triangle coming up right after this. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, you got it. It's the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And my two panelists joining me every single month and keeping it real, Greg Bennell from BNM Bloomberg. He is a host anchor there, always focusing on the real estate world and the economy. And I have Tim Sirianos joining me. He is the broker owner at Remax Ultimate. Tim was also the former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, currently a director at the Canadian Real Estate Association. And just to make sure I throw this out there, I want to make sure that everybody knows their opinions here and do not reflect their associations that they are with. Anyways, gentlemen, welcome back. And another month has gone by and we've been through a federal poop. I mean, election. Yes. So how's everybody doing? Good, good. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to be back. Summer's uh seems to be behind us now and the fall market is uh, is is here and people are starting to get refocused so always exciting well you know tim i had i had greg on last week and we did uh, we did vent a little bit about the election and really what transpired but you know you and i haven't talked since the election has concluded and as i said you know i just i think complete waste of time but maybe you can take give us a little bit of a take on it you know even taking a look you know from anything that might change in the world of real estate it's been discussed that $600 million was a waste of money uh, in your previous show. <laughs> um, absolutely nothing is going to change uh, based on even what the political parties came out with. I mean, all the promises they made were things that would not have been uh, made a dent into the housing crisis. And I'm going to call it a crisis because that's what it really is. Um, you know, what they each promised to deliver will not make a difference. Um, we, we need to look at it from a municipal standpoint. And there's been a lot of uh, news coverage recently from, from different organizations and associations about um, maybe creating uh, a review of the bylaws that exist right now in the red tape. Let's just be real here as we're talking about it. There is a direct correlation between the costs of acquiring real estate and the reason why people are choosing to renovate. There's a direct correlation between the reason why people, the, the, listing, the listing supply of homes are so low um, and you know the cost that is associated with um, everything, every aspect of the real estate transaction. So until people really start looking at you know, these factors, uh, I've always been a, a big um, voice when it comes to land transfer tax, both at the provincial level and the, uh, the municipal level as well. I mean, it's just getting way too expensive. We're literally under a month supply of real estate in September right now. Wow. You know, and that's a staggering number. I, I don't think most people know that a normal market should be sitting around 90 days minimum um, just to kind of have, you know, to, 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 you know, stave off the multiple offers and the heat in the market. But Tim, you did bring up something and I, it was part of my, my real estate rant to start the show today. And it is that affordable, you know, crisis that we're going through and, you know, maybe changing some zoning. It was interesting because uh, a couple of years ago, I actually had uh, Mayor Tory on the show with me and 
I had suggested this, um, that we actually can turn around and take a, you know, a single family dwelling and you actually can reg register it as a duplex or triplex. So you actually chop up the title and you actually make it three individuals so people could actually purchase it. Meritori did take it to council. Uh, apparently it was well received, but one of the uh, one of the columnists in Toronto Sun got a hold of it and just went ballistic on the two of us to saying, how dare we suggest something like that? I think the idea of not in my backyard is going to always be an issue. Greg, you know, you and I have talked about this over the years. You know, there's got to be a solution. And I have always thought that, hey, look at chop, chop a big house into it, into a triplex, let people buy individual pieces of it and you're all set. I think you're an influential voice out there, buddy, because the Ontario Real Estate Association is thinking the exact same way as you. I mean, they came out this week and Tim Hudak, the CEO, and basically said, we need to, you know, uh, end this, what they call exclusionary single family zoning rules. But that basically means, yeah, take the big single family home in Toronto neighborhoods, chop it up, make it a townhome, a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex. Then you're going to start bringing supply online from existing homes that are already there. So it's interesting that the Ontario Real Estate Association, their mind is going in that same direction because we know if you talk about brand new supply, actually building a house, digging the hole, it's it's a long process, right? And as Tim said, we're in a crisis right now. So this seems to be a solution that, you know, certain segments are gravitating towards, including uh, Tim Hudak. So it's sort of an interesting development. I saw that and I was like, okay, well, there you go. And this is actually... There's something that could, you know, obviously things move so slow in politics, <laughs> but and you've been making this argument for years, but it, it is an intriguing idea. Back to the whole inventory problem, Greg, you you and I, you know, we, we kind of battered it around of what they were trying to commit to out of the election policies. And, you know, some of the, they were proposing, you know, a million, a million units, 1.4 million, you know, you and I both know impossible numbers to even quantify and build, you know, when we take a look at the actual length of time. And, you know, Tim had alluded to, you know, we, it's more of a municipal issue, not a federal level. But, you know, there is there is no one solution here. And this is this is where I think when we keep bringing this up and, and we've 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 had this discussion before here on the show with the two of you is what is affordable housing and like what what makes you know and, and i don't like the word for affordable housing i like the word housing that's affordable but what does that look like you know for a first-time home buyer and when people keep saying and and, and we'll talk about the cmhc reports shortly <laughs> um <laughs> and, and and they're 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 gonna be a good laugh but Tim, if you were if you were to sit there and go out to your agents and say, "Okay, what would you guys consider to be affordable?" Where does that number fall? You know, I I just don't understand where people are going to keep pushing that pushing that actual narrative, saying we need housing that's affordable. But what is that number? You know, I don't I don't want to talk like a politician right now because there isn't really a number. As long as you have um, a, a, a situation where. Uh, it's so expensive to acquire the land and it's so expensive to build and it takes so long to come to market. It's never going to be affordable at this point. There is a direct correlation with, you know, interest rates being at the record lows that they are today and appreciation of value. Right. We both know that when rates have gone up historically, that that does put a cap on the appreciation of value and actually pulls some values back. But the, the use of term affordable, it has to be removed from our vocabulary completely. We have to talk about inventory. The word has to be inventory and not affordable. The more that we start to build, 
it will start to balance itself out because you will keep up with the demands of the, the existing demands that are, that are there right now. And you will be able to um, be ahead of the demands when the immigration starts opening up and more people come to the greater Toronto area. So, uh, you know, affordable. I mean, my daughters are, you know, they're just turning 20 right now, one of them. And we talk about real estate all the time. She finds it fascinating. And, you know, she always reminds me, you bought your first house for 250000 and you put $60,000 down. My first condo is going to be seven hundred and fifty, and I have to come up with, you know, 150000 Where am I going to come up with that? So the reality is that, you know, even builders right now, they are building, uh, you know, they are adding within condo units, you know, uh, units and provided to the market, which are supposed to be based in the city of Toronto affordable, right? Like the rents are a certain, you know, amount and everything else. So, but until we get ahead and we start building a lot more than what's, we're way far, way too far behind what I'm saying. I don't believe that we will be seeing an end to this, uh, the market the way it is. You know, uh, Greg, Tim makes a good point. And when we take a look at it, you know, we keep talking about affordability, but again, we've had this problem for much, much longer than affordability, and it is supply. I supply indeed in terms of that longer term solution, but I like the fact that Tim brought up about the fact that borrowing costs are so low because we did see a disconnect in the past a couple of years as well in terms of what is the headline? Like, you know, what is the price tag on this home? And it's mind numbing if you take your mindset back 10 or 15 years, but then what's that going to cost me every month? Because the interest rates are so low. And then people say, well, I can make that work. Are the interest rate, and we talk about interest rates, you know, that's my bread and butter at BNM Bloomberg's. There was some uh, interesting developments since the last time we talked in the sense that we're seeing bond yields push higher globally. I'm looking at a Canadian five-year bond yield that is back to its pre-pandemic levels. Now, it's still only north of about 1%, so it's still historically low. But this sort of crisis-era borrowing costs that we've seen, at least in the bond market, are, are starting to sort of you know dissipate and start to get back to levels that they were at least before the crisis hit us full bore. And I've been looking at some commentary. Uh, there, Bloomberg held a conference this week where they bought a bunch of Bay Street types in, and uh, one of them, uh, David Wolf from Fidelity, he used to uh, be an advisor at the Bank of Canada, and he doesn't think that they can wait until the second half of next year to start Ooh. raising rates. He thinks the inflation is sticky and there's supply chain problems. He thinks their hand is going to be forced a lot sooner than that. We've talked about the fact that they're not going to jump okay, know, so Greg, this huge amount overnight is gradual, but the, the, I feel like there's pressure starting to come on the rate side. So I'm going to have you hold on to that thought because that's an interesting one, and we're going to go to a quick break. Folks, when we come back, I've got more with Greg Bennell and Tim Seriano. so stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my panelists this hour are Tim Serianos. He is the broker owner of Remax Ultimate. And I've got Greg Bennell from BM Bloomberg. Uh, just before the break, uh, Greg, you kind of just shook my world a little. <laughs> you were talking about talking, and Tim, Tim, Tim's just picking himself up now. Um, you talked about the potential of maybe an earlier increase in interest rates. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the bond market getting back to yields that we didn't see until before the crisis really took hold. I mean, the five-year bond yield is so key in Canada for pricing the five-year fixed. It's back to pre-crisis levels, still low. But then this Bank of Canada stuff, right? Can they wait until the second half 
of next year before, you know, at least bringing in that first hike of 25 basis points. It's not going to send everyone over a cliff to see a quarter of 1%. But uh, yeah, there's voices down thinking that if these inflationary pressures, and we all see them, right? I mean, you don't even need to be a financial journalist or an economist to go to a grocery store and say, whoa, that's what you want for a couple steaks for the grill this weekend. Whoa, that's what you want for that. I mean, we're feeling it, right? And uh, there's this feeling out there that the inflationary pressures aren't going to back off anytime soon. And that's what the bank is supposed to do, right? I mean, it's supposed to sort of control the cost of money based on, you know, the rate of inflation. They've been ignoring it for now. No one's saying ignoring it. I mean, they recognize it and say, but don't worry. It's transitory. Price pressures will come down. Our hand's not going to get forced. But there's some people thinking maybe their hand does get forced. I was, I was saying uh, David uh, Wolf of Fidelity at this conference this week, he used to advise the bank and he thinks they can't wait till the second half of next year. You wonder if that's going to start to be a game changer as they gradually try to raise borrowing costs. And it is going to be gradual. I'll throw that out there. They're not going to just go crazy overnight. It will be gradual. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of our conversations obviously circling around the lowest interest rates we've seen ever at this time. My my problem will, of course, be that the, the average person that's looking at mortgages, it'll be a little bit of a sticker shock when people have to start paying uh, mortgage rates in the twos, you know, you, you know, even the mid twos, maybe high twos. That is still historically unbelievably low um, for for what we've seen for the last hundred years. But, you know, this is this is the thing, the norm. And because we've left it low for so long, people get educated that that's the number they should be looking at. So. You know, if we take a look at, you know, the potential of the market turning around at all, or for that matter, you know, we're not out of your our COVID situation. So I'm, I, I'm not going to jump on the, you know, everybody, you know, beware, you know, sky's falling, because I still think that we've got a lot, a lot of runway right now to deal with the COVID situation, because we're still not out of this. So, you know, Greg, do you, do you think that I'm not going to put you on the spot and say we're not going to go up a little, but I would imagine, as you mentioned, it's going to be very, very gradual if we see some increase in interest rates. Yeah, they can't afford to shock the, the economic system and the financial system with a, a sharp move and an increase in the rates. I mean, you're hearing it from the U.S. Federal Reserve, which is the most powerful central bank in the world. But even then, the last time we heard from them only last week, uh, they're split now as to whether they should hike rates next year. Now, the, I, we had actually been a little bit ahead of the game in, in Canada. And that's why people didn't really believe the Bank of Canada. We said, oh, we might be ready by the second half of 2022. It's like, really? You're moving it? ahead of the Fed. I mean, that that's a little strange. But now the Fed is sort of split around the table saying, maybe, maybe if things keep going the way they are right now in terms of recovery, everyone has to admit that COVID's the wild card and I really don't want to see a resurgence in a way that you know hits the economy again. But this is, these inflationary pressures, I mean, they're sticky. They're not going away. You can't even, some companies are just complaining about getting a container to put stuff in to ship across the ocean so we can buy it here. Yeah. Tim, you well, know, a couple but but on the bright side here, just to, to share, you know, any any rate increase, whether it's ten basis points or or twenty five, is just going to continuously, you know, continue to help the appreciation of values not go, you know, become out of hand. Um, I mean, I, I just reminds me back of 2016, 17. The rates did not really change, but the you know the new housing plan came in and everything stalled for six months, right? Eight months. So anytime that there's any type of uh, slight increase, it's just going to help the buyers get into the market more, kind of stabilize the market. Not anything that has this excessive run up is not healthy for any market. So uh, again, just going back to what you know, Greg said and Todd, what you said. Getting an interest rate for a home under two percent is is just 
out of a movie. Not <laughs> like who would ever thought? Like it's a sci-fi film, right? Like it's not normal. Um, you know, being in the high twos or, or or mid threes or low threes. I mean, now we're talking something that people should remember was just literally a year and a half ago. Okay, so I mean, it's not like we're you know we're, we're going to uncharted waters. Yep. So, Tim, I do want to bring up a couple of headlines that have been in the news recently, you know, right in your own backyard. Canada's housing market overheated, overvalued, and at risk of downturn. Who wrote this? Hey, it's CMHC, our favorite people at, you know, Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. High degree of vulnerability in the Toronto housing market. Who, again, is CMHC? Housing market, uh, high risk to sharp correction. One more time. You got it, CMHC. You know, we've had this conversation about CMHC and their predictions over, you know, I would say the last several decades. They've never nailed it. They have so missed the mark. And when you hear hear headlines like this, how do you feel? I mean, you are a broker owner of a major, major real estate firm. You've got over 250 agents working for you. You know, when I see stuff like this, I just feel like it's fake news. They're trying to force the market down. Well, I, I mean, I have much better things to do with my time whenever they make an announcement like this, because I usually spend the next day, half a day to a day talking to other our agents or consumers about how inaccurate their, <laughs> their actual report is. Right. So um, and then all you need to do is pull out the the opposite headlines that talk that that people forget about that did not come true. Right. So. I, you know, it's, I've always taken the approach that, you know, there has to be more thought provided um, before putting these types of reports out there, because it does create a false type of um, uh, feeling for a lot of people. And you don't want that negative emotion out there because it, it creates a herd mentality, right? And people start to go down that road and then they wake up a little bit later and saying, I wish I bought three months ago. Why did I listen to CMHC? I'm not a very big fan of these types of headlines. I always keep a calm, you know, approach to it, you know, perspective. And, um, you know, history has always, always spoken for itself, right? Like you've seen that nothing's come true. We've never had an 18% price drop. That was the biggest one they said. What was it? A year or two ago? 18% yeah, a year ago. Yeah. yeah, 18% drop. I'm, I mean, we had an 18% increase. I mean, <laughs> so Greg, poor people, you know, did not buy because of that report. Yeah, so Greg, you know, you you know, I've played with these numbers for quite a while, obviously with CMHC, and again, reports like this, it, it, it just as Tim had alluded, you know, it, it seems like a year ago when they're saying the market's going to correct itself, it's going to crash, everybody nine to eighteen percent, get ready, we're going down, you know, and and you hear the little warning beep beep beep, um, they keep doing the same thing. I will give them, and I'm not going to make it popular with you two guys, a bit of a pass on that 18% pullback fears at the beginning of the pandemic, because what I had already always asked over the years, what could undo the housing market? And then the answer was always from economists or people in the business, you know, a massive spike in unemployment, a recession. These are the things that usually spell the end. But then we had a very weird kind of recession, a massive unemployment, right? And then the government took responsibility and said, we've we triggered this recession. We triggered this mass unemployment. So we're going to make businesses as whole as we can. We're going to make households as whole as we can. The banks let you defer mortgages, right? So I, I, <laughs> I'm i not defending their call from last year because it was 100% wrong, obviously. 
Uh, but if the next time we have a recession or a mass spike in unemployment and the government doesn't feel compelled to make every household whole and every business as whole as they can, it might be a bit of a different game. Now, this report that came out this week, the only thing I will say, Bob Dugan, the chief economist, I did see a quote uh, when he held uh, court with the media where he said, I hope we don't see a sharp decrease in prices. So I will give that to Bob. He said, I hope we don't see it. But obviously, they're sounding the alarm. And as an alarm, I guess, bell that they've sounded a number of times where perhaps some people aren't believing them anymore. I don't think you two guys are believing. Don't worry, Greg. You'll you'll continue to be popular with Tim <laughs> I'll and I. I'll survive the talk triangle after this. Yeah, one. yeah. Don't worry. We're we're, we're <laughs> not going. We won't beat you up too much on your on your opinion <laughs> on that one. But uh, of course, we still have to challenge. We always still have to challenge things. And folks, um, whenever you tune into the Real Estate Talk Triangle each month uh, with my panelists Greg Bennell and Tim Sirianos, you know the nice fun thing about having these gentlemen join me is that they are professionals in the industry. They do follow. Follow this very closely. So every once in a while, you'll hear our banter. We're not always 100% in agreement, and that's okay. Everybody ha- is entitled to their opinion. Um, and of course, I have a mute button. So if I don't like it, I'm just going to mute them. But anyways, when we come back, we're going to have more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So we're having a lot of fun today on the Real Estate Talk Triangle with Greg Bennell and Tim Sirianos. Um, just before the break, we we were just having a chat and we were talking about CMHC, again, predicting the end of the world. And, and yeah, I'm being a little bit extra. Um, they have, have shown some concern that real estate could drop. Tim, you and I have been talking in length about, you know, supply and demand. And you know, Greg does bring up, you know, good points um, when when we take a look at the economy. And of course, if the government hadn't come in during the pandemic and helped people out, probably we would have been worse off. But that's that's not to say that we still haven't been having this ongoing issue with supply. And so I think I always believe that when when some governing body starts doing a report or some kind of you know uh, analysis of a marketplace, they keep forgetting the demand and what we saw you know, recreated during the pandemic, if anything, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure you, because you, you, you and your, your brokerage, you're always dealing with buyers and sellers. And the, right now, the, the idea and concept of having home ownership, I think has never been stronger. You know, I've been in real estate over 30 years, you over 35. I don't think I've ever seen a desire for ownership more than we see right now. Yeah, I mean, that hasn't changed at all. And obviously, we've discussed this in the past. The pandemic has has had a lot of families and individuals as well, you know, reevaluate their current living conditions. Uh, many people have chosen to sell their property and, and uh, venture out of the city for more space. Um, it, probably wondering if they'll ever need to commute back to an office. And now reports are talking about uh, more people wanting to get back into the office environment. But then, then I've, you know, we did discuss the idea of people who've actually bought condos in the city, you know, after moving out uh, out of the city to get more space, just so they have a place to come into when they do have to work for a period of time. So, uh, I mean, the idea of people wanting, you know, home ownership, we're seeing a tremendous spike in the younger generations now looking at real estate and and wondering how to get into it you know uh maybe teaming up being together putting their resources together and buying something just to kind of help themselves you know climb up the ladder of ownership right so we've never it's never wavered but we've actually seen a lot of uh younger people being very um creative in their approach to enter the real estate market 
Yeah. And, and, you know, Greg, Tim did bring up something about, you know, uh, people being attracted back down into the Toronto core. But, you know, a report out saying that Toronto's underground path, mall shops fret about the hybrid work in towers above. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing less and less people in the workspace. You know, we are hearing some companies are bringing them back. Some companies are not going to renew their leases, not at the same square footage. So, you know, a path system, which is a big, big part of Toronto. You know, I just experienced it a few years back, you know, to its, its fullest extent. And decide to go for a walk for a day, um, you know, and I, I was absolutely amazed at it. And yeah, you know, we're watching, you know, there's a lot of businesses that are suffering. And I think we forget because it's not above ground, but you forget, you know, the huge part of the economy that the path system has. And it's those big towers above that path system, right? And they're occupied by the big financial companies. And it seems that the banks and the life codes are the ones who are going to be furthest behind in terms of bringing their staff back. And this is tens of thousands of people that would normally be on top of that path system. I walk the path once the winter hits and when I was going to work, yeah, the path becomes your best friend because it's underground. It gets you out from the minus 30 weather. Uh, But I've seen those two uh, pictures too. I've talked to some people and it's just, it's astounding because I was just so used to the sort of crush of humanity moving through that system all the time. And once you remove them from the equation, and most of them are working for those financial companies that are still pushing off their back to work plans into next year, it just completely sort of evaporates the the business case for being down there. I mean, it, it is a pretty rough go on that sense. But you are seeing other companies pulling people back into the office. It, you, you get the real sense that people want to make that move, right? It just seems that the big financial companies, either there's life codes or banks, are just the most cautious of the bunch. So I think you're not going to see that full vibrancy again, at least during the weekdays, until those institutions bring back their tens of thousands of people. Then, you know, hold on to your hats because the go train ride is going to become awfully crammed again. You know, and Greg makes a great point, Tim, that, you know, the idea of we see everybody come back. But, you know, there has been some discussion with some of the developers that would consider kind of creating more of a hybrid scenario where they'll take some of the floors, turn them potentially into residential, keeping some of it commercial for businesses because there are some vacancies. You know, vacancy rate is probably one of the highest that it's ever seen in the commercial atmosphere um, over the last 10, 15 years. So do you see do you see that hybrid coming into play? Is it going to make a lot of sense? It's very possible. Uh, we've, we've had this, some discussions with our commercial division about that and some of the inquiries and conversations that have been with um, certain landlords uh, looking at these hybrid types of models. And um, it, it is very possible that, that something like that can come. Um, we're also seeing that every time that the numbers, you know, with COVID do drop and every time, you know, as you start to increase the capacity of the Rogers Center for baseball games or hopefully for basketball and hockey, you know, um, uh, capacity in the in these arenas, too, for the games, that there are more inquiries made to, you know, to leasing spaces. Right. Uh, whenever things get pulled back and there's negative reports, then the phone kind of stops ringing all of a sudden, right? So there is a lot of uncertainty right now, but everything is pointing to um, people looking at these leasing opportunities and looking at it as maybe the opportunity to get the best rate possible for a long-term lease. So there's also that opportunity as people are looking for um, uh, the timing. The, the way they try to time the real estate market, they're trying to time the commercial market. 
You know, Greg, one of the platforms that the uh, Conservative government was proposing was the repurpose of some of the government commercial buildings. But would it not be sensical for them to turn around and go to some of these developers and say, hey, look, it, we're, we're going to let you redevelop some of this commercial space, make it residential. Or, you know, it's easier. It's already it's already there. So we're talking renovations as opposed to, you know, build automatically. Would it not make sense for, you know, the government, you know, provincial or the municipalities to get involved in, and make these recommendations? If they can just free up the land, right? If they have these holdings and, and these buildings already in their portfolios, and like you said, it's already there. You're not starting from scratch. You're not worried about you know connecting uh, to the to the urban infrastructure. It is there. I, I remember years ago, uh, a friend of mine living in a condo. This is a long time ago, but that building and it was off of Young Street. It, it was uh, a convert too. It just used to be like you know a pretty nondescript uh, office building, and so it's been done before, right? And and, and once you convert it. I mean, we were in our condo and like, yeah, this is a nice place, right? And you got a good view of the street and all this kind of stuff. It, it can be done, right? It's, it's political will. And it's interesting, of course, that we've been through the election because so many promises are made during an election. Now it's time to actually <laughs> see what on that list they actually going to you know, take, take a run at. And so many people are demonized during an election. You got to have enemies during a campaign. At least that seems like the tone of the last one, right? And we, you and I had talked about last week, talked about the fact that it seemed that you were even making the apartment landlords, the big REITs, uh, an enemy or at least casting them in a negative light in a liberal platform. These are the people you're going to need to work with on the other side now to try to come up with these solutions. Right. Well, you know, gentlemen, I, uh, I appreciate your time today. Of course, hopefully, hopefully the powers to be are listening to us. Cause you know what? I think we can come up with some solutions to help them or at least guide them in the right direction. Tim Sirianos, Greg Bennell, thank you so much for joining me for the real estate talk triangle as we do every single month. And I look forward to having a chat with you real soon. Thank you, Todd. And it's always a pleasure to be with Greg and yourself on this uh, show. Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> so that was Tim Sirianos. He is broker owner of Remax Ultimate, you know, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. I know I still bring it up, but, you know, Tim was able to, you know, guide the real estate board through a pretty tough time back in 2017. Greg Bennell, of course, from BM Bloomberg. You got to watch Greg. Always, always factual on everything that he deals with. Love having him on the show and part of the real estate talk triangle that we, uh, we have every single month. So always a pleasure. Um, you know, so that's uh, that's a wrap for this week. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, don't forget, we've got our real estate investment webinar coming up. It's the simple real estate investment webinar. In fact, coming up on Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m. You can register at the Simple Investor. Now, this one's going to be a little bit different than the ones we've been running. Um, we're going to drill it down even further than we normally do. We're, we are going to talk about who makes the best tenant, uh, where is the best place to invest? We're also going to talk about financing and some of the tax implications. So we need to break this stuff down. So if you ever want to become a real estate uh, investor, you have a little bit more of the facts. So uh, make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram, the Simple Investor one uh, I do want to thank Ian Grant. He does make it simple for me every single week. Uh, really important uh, when we're trying to produce the show. And most importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in. You continue to make us the number one real estate talk show, and it's just always a pleasure to to be able to do this every single Sunday at noon. And that's right, I'll be back next week. And um, that's a wrap. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.